to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And today we are talking about Babe 2, Pig in the City. Last week we talked about Babe, today it's all about Babe 2. So, Babe, Pig in the City is a 1998 film written and sorry co-written produced and directed by George Miller. Uh it has the actors from the first film uh James Cromwell, Mary Margulies, Hugo Weaving, Danny Mann, Magda Stubinsky, um except most of them aren't really in it as much as they were. Yeah, uh, there's a different voice actress for Babe, E.G. Daly. Interesting fact just before we get into the plot, the actress from last time was uh, on Rugrats, and the actress from this time is also on Rugrats. I think Last one was Chucky, this one is Tommy. Yeah. So clearly they both have that ability to be Babe. The voice, ba- Babe's voice is a little d- noticeably different in this one, but still yeah. in the same... In the same house. register, yeah. yeah. Um, so ball why house? don't you... Ballpark. Wheelhouse. <laughs> one of those... <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about what this movie was about, Paul? I will do my best. Babe 2 is the story of Babe, the now championship-winning sheep-herding pig, when the Hoggett farm gets in financial trouble and Farmer Hoggett is hurt. Uh, Esme Hoggett, Mrs. Hoggett, takes Babe away to participate in a show where he's going to be paid for appearing but they're they miss their flight and they get stranded in the city for several days in the city they stay in a hotel full of animals hijinks ensue lots of hijinks and then eventually they go back to the farm and bring (laughs) all the animals with them yeah basically that's what happens oh and esme goes to jail esme goes to jail and all that i mean most of the movie plot wise Esme brings Babe to the city and then disappears from the plot with reason. She doesn't just disappear, but like she fades away from the plot. And most of the plot is Babe has some hijinks in the city with all the animals. Mm -hmm. And then Esme returns and takes Babe back to the city. And when you talk to the country, back to the farm, when you talked at the beginning about most of the actors are back, only Esme and Babe, as characters, go to the city. So And the duck. Oh, oh, and the duck. Ferdinand the duck. You're right. So Esme, Ferdinand, and Babe go to the city, and the three of them are there from the last movie. Everyone else that we know from the last movie remains on the farm, and we see them for 45 seconds at the beginning of the movie, and then never again. Mm-hmm. We see uh, James Cromwell again at the very end. So, And Esme, uh, Magda... Subinsky's accent is different. Presumably her actual accent is Scottish. She was doing an American accent in the last movie. And she does her real accent, presumably, in this movie. Probably because she has more lines to do. I guess so. Or maybe whatever. Her American accent was good. It's not like that's too... Anyway. uh, So she has a different accent and there's a different voice actor for Babe. So both of them sound different. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Okay, so like, what was this movie? I don't... Like, it was a surreal, I don't know if it was a surreal masterpiece or a hot mess. (laughs) Well, let's try to figure that out. Let's start by talking objectively about the quality of the movie. And, I mean, we can, 
do as we usually do, highlights, lowlights. This is a difficult movie to talk about in those terms because there's a lot of things that it's hard to tell whether they are highlights or lowlights. So, but let's just start with things that are definitely in terms of craft, in terms of just making a thing, things that they did well. And I'm going to start with one, which is the city that they are in is this surreal mishmash that has Eiffel Tower, the Statue of Liberty, the CN Tower, the Golden Gate Bridge, and the Hollywood sign, and probably a bunch of other landmarks yeah. that I didn't recognize because, you know, we see the land... The, oh, the, the Opera House from Sydney. The Sydney Opera House. So it's this... It's weird. Insane, surreal uh, mishmash of a city. And whatever else we say about this movie, to my... Starting point for discussing the quality of this movie is just like both in conception and in execution. That's really well done. Mm. Like it looks really good. It's really imaginative, and it also sets a kind of tone for the movie that uh, a flag for you of what kind of movie you're about to be watching when they show the cityscape, and it is this absolutely surreal city mm -hmm. because this is an absolutely surreal movie. Yes. So I'm going to say that is definitely just well done effect. Yeah. And the, in conception. The practical effects are well done in terms of, well, let's just say it right out. George Miller, who directed this, the other movie he's, he's famous for directing for is Mad Max Fury Road. He directed all the Mad Max movies. All the Mad Max movies? Yeah. Oh, Okay. But most recently, but most this is the last movie he directed before he directed Fury Road. He did this, he took a break. <laughs> a very long break. And then he did Fury Road. Wow. Okay. So there are, and because he did Fury Road, I was kind of watching for some of the similarities. And surprisingly enough, there are some. Because quite a few, really, quite a few, really. There are some practical effects with people swinging from wires and. At one point, Esme is in this bizarre rubber suit swinging across a ballroom, and then other people are swinging across too, and it really reminded me of, like, the pole vaulters and people in Fury Road who do that. And the way it's filmed, I don't think it's, you know, it's not CGI, it's not green screen, this is like a practical effect that he's done. With stunt performers, With stunt yeah. performers. And if we are talking about, if we're still talking highlights, that sequence with, there's a bunch of moments when they're swinging, but the climax of that scene is Esme and two, like, waiters swinging and the choreography of, the acrobatic choreography of they all swing and barely miss each other and mm -hmm. then come up to the balcony and then swing and barely miss each other and land somewhere else. And I have no doubt that that was actually choreographed with stunt performers swinging from a ceiling. It looks amazing. It does. Uh, it's so reminiscent of Fury Road, and it's without question highlight of this movie and of any movie. Like, it's this n weird set piece, and this movie is full of weird set pieces. Yes. And the that one stands out as a particular mm -hmm. highlight. Like, it's... Amazing to watch. He clearly, like, this movie is full of people dangling and animals dangling from things. And that seems to be, like, a theme in the movie and a visual thing he likes to do. The a director motif. likes to do a motif he likes to do. 
mm-hmm. is people dangling from ropes from various things. And it's, I mean, it's just weird, but like, it's visually beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of interesting shots in this, like like you were talking about before with the acrobatics. And then right afterwards, all these balloons float down. You get this beautiful aerial shot of these balloons floating down to the middle of a ballroom. And it's just, it's beautiful. It looks like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. And like, this is the sequel to Babe. Like, what is even <laughs> going on here? Okay. We're still supposed to be talking about highlights. And the- that is a highlight. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, we could make some, maybe you're already uh, making a point that we should both we should both learn from the point you keep driving towards, which is it probably isn't a good idea to talk about this movie in the terms we usually talk about a movie because it just is strange and surreal and weird. And it's hard to talk about in the terms like we could say the voice actors do a good job. Mm -hmm. The puppetry of all the animals is good again. Very good again. Uh, I suspect that it's all or mostly puppetry rather than CGI or anything. Yeah. Um, it doesn't look like CGI. And no, in the no, 90s, no. it would have. Like, I don't think in the yeah. 90s, the technology existed to make it not stand out. So mm-hmm. it's all, I feel pretty comfortable saying it's all practical puppetry and it looks really good. Mm-hmm. The design of all the characters and animals is all good. I think uh, if surreal We'll talk about the chimpanzees in a second because I want to call it good, but I also want to call it like, let's come back to the chimpanzees and their whole deal Mm -hmm. in terms of visual design as well as in terms of character. Yeah. The plot, like when we talk about it being surreal, a lot of the plot is just a weird thing happens, a weird thing happens, a zany thing happens, a madcap thing happens, there's pratfalls, there's, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I wonder if that's what one of the things you're thinking of when you think specifically of, I can't decide whether it's a hot mess or a masterpiece is in terms of plotting. Yes. Low lights for me were the story because I'm not sure there was much of one. There was a rough plot outline, but then I didn't connect with any of the characters in this at all. I definitely did not like it as much as the first movie because of that. And and if you want, it was, yeah, there was a lot of there's yeah, there was two a lot of characters is a low light for me. Too many characters, and the the messy plot. And if you want to talk about it from like a structural perspective of there's a protagonist who has has a conflict with some kind of antagonist, and the this movie is an example of. Uh, I feel comfortable again saying deliberately disregarding that structural, the rules of structure. Yeah, no, it has no structure. It has a structure, but I taught, I was teaching um, yesterday and I said in my class, teaching 1984, we were talking about a character and I said like the rules of structure, it's important to know, especially as a writer, uh, they're helpful tools, but as a reader, you should, as a critical reader, you should be aware that sometimes people throw them away on purpose or not on purpose. And they are like, 
you know the rules, but you can break them. And mm. breaking the rules does not mean something is badly done. I feel very comfortable because of the way this movie is done, making a claim that the rules are broken on purpose. Yes, absolutely. It's not that George Miller doesn't know how to structure a three-act story. Mm-hmm. It's that he said, let's not do that. Yep. <laughs> so they travel to the city, and while they're in the city, like, who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? What is Babe's goal? Is he trying to achieve something? He's trying to save the farm is kind of the premise of the mm-hmm. movie, but so much of the movie, he does not working towards saving the farm in any way. Yeah. So did you like this movie? Yes. I'm going to make a case for it as a surreal masterpiece instead of a hot mess. <laughs> I, when it ended, I kind of sat there with my mouth open, uh, <laughs> thinking like, what did I just watch? Yeah, absolutely. But the more I think it over, and I've been thinking it over now for like an hour, not that long. But the more I think it over, the more I think, as long as you don't judge it by standards that it isn't trying to meet, as long as you don't, you know, wonder how good of a romantic comedy it is, I think that this movie is working on all the levels it wants to work really well. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think just if you accept it as a series of set pieces that are madcap and anarchic and creative and imaginative and beautiful. And like, if you take that as what this is movie is, I think it, uh, I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the first babe is incredibly charming, has so much heart, but it, one of the things that makes it more than just like a funny talking animal movie is it has this uh, surreal sophistication and literary sense. Mm -hmm. And it mixes this, it recognizes that a talking animal movie is surreal. And and most talking animal movies kind of pretend like that's a fantasy, but Babe recognizes that that's surreal. Hmm. These animals talk to each other. So the surreal is already in Babe, right? Yeah. And one of the things that makes Babe so uh, successful is it takes that surreal, that anarchy, that t- little bit of a threat that everything is going to go completely off the rails at any moment. And it kind of grounds it with heart and affection. And uh, the main character, Babe, who is so good-natured and innocent and is this kind of steady center in mm-hmm. the middle of the madness. And this movie, I feel like, takes that and just turns it up to 11. So the madcap mm-hmm. of... And there are madcap moments in Babe. Yeah. Several of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the most madcap is when he's sneaking through the house and gets stuck on the ribbon and there's all the pink right, falls. Yeah. And, like, I feel like the spirit of that moment is what the whole, this whole movie is that like mm. he's the same pig in a world gone mad and he's unflappable but not because of his bravery but just because he's makes a choice early in the first movie that he's never going to think ill of any animal mm-hmm. and then he doesn't through yeah, this entire continue, movie that continues in this movie too so all that to say yeah i think i enjoyed it a lot i would mm. like to watch it 12 more times <laughs> to figure out how about you did you enjoy this movie? Um, like you, I'd maybe like to watch it 
a dozen more times to know that question because I just, let me be honest here. I fell asleep for a tiny bit of it. <laughs> Long-time listeners of Way Too Seriously will recognize this as a recurring motif on our show. We always watch them in the evening and I'm sleepy. Anyway, sorry. Um, not sorry. I really love Babe One. And... This movie was no babe one, and so it's hard for me to compare to it's hard for me to like them when I like that other one so much. But like you said, I I it's this like insane surrealist masterpiece, and maybe it's worth watching many more times to kind of see all the nuances of it. And I uh what I really enjoy what I did enjoy about it was the the shots and the beauty and the and the way it made me just go what but what i didn't like about it was i didn't connect to any of these characters and when it comes to watching a movie i like characters that i can connect to i like characters that are characters and there was too many of them and they were too and the ones that were there from the first movie were very different from the first movie and so it felt like this would have worked more for me if it had been a completely different set of characters. If this was just Pig in the City, nothing to do with the first movie, etc. So I would have liked, maybe I would have liked it better if it was that. It's it's the sequel problem that's making me not like it as much as as you like it. But I don't know, I still... I'm interested in it. it. It intrigues me. This movie just, I can't wrap my head around it at all. I feel like uh, I'm going to make a weird comparison, but I feel like Babe 2 is to Babe as Army of Darkness is to Evil Dead. Like, yeah, yeah. They just change the genre. There's The seeds are in the first movie, but they just are doing a completely different thing. Yeah. I really, really see your point of... It might have been a more, I mean, obviously for you, I don't need to see your point for you to talk about you enjoying it. But I can kind of agree that if it was just Pig in the City and had nothing to do with Babe, some of the discomfort or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Disorientation. Mm-hmm. Some of the disorientation might not have been there and that would have changed my experience of it. I think there are two big elements that carry over from the first movie very importantly. Babe, you said none of the characters uh, compelled you. Did Babe not compel you in this movie at all? A little bit. He felt very different. <clears throat> hmm. He felt like a, like he wasn't quite the same sweetness and light that he was in the first movie. Yeah. And maybe that's because we didn't get as much of, certainly we didn't get as much of Babe in no. this movie. I feel like this movie is really founded on the idea from the first movie of, early in the first movie, of he decided not to think badly of any creature. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if we had a brand new pig and it was Pig in the City, that the plot could run on in exactly the same way, but that core that brings the heart into this movie comes from the previous movie, I think. Yeah, you're right. That is right. And just in terms of why I enjoy this movie, I really recognize this core that's been brought over despite all the weird changes and all the disorientation and all the surrealism. Mm -hmm. I'm anchored in this core of like, he has made a choice and a choice to think good of people. And that's what 
sees him through the whole chaos of the whole movie. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that quite a lot. Things I didn't enjoy in terms of my enjoyment, I think they were bad ideas, even objectively. Coming back to the song, I see why they did it, trying to reverse and recreate like the sweet moment of the song, but... Uh, or maybe to surrealize it, but like when he starts singing to the chimpanzee babies and then all the whole house full of animals all join in singing la 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 to the song, like that did not work for me. No, not at all. Because it's not the melody. I mean, the melody is a beautiful melody, but the melody is not why that moment was touching. Yeah. Um, without the lyric and without the whole emotional moment. But like, mm-hmm. I think that moment in Babe 2 could have worked if they had kept the lyric even. Mm-hmm. If somehow they had all known the lyrics, like, I wouldn't have minded. Yeah, and they could have because it, they all, it's surreal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they're just as likely to know the lyrics as to know the tune, mm-hmm. right? They all just join in on the tune. However, so that didn't work for me and I didn't like it. I can see that it's kind of a statement of what this movie is. Like, they take this very simple, frankly, Farmer Hoggett singing to his pig and doing a big dance to his pig is also really surreal. Mm-hmm. So they take this simple surreal moment from one movie and they reproduce it, reverse it, crank up the surreal, make it bizarre, uh, and on enormous scale in the next movie. And like that's what everything about this movie is. Often it works for me. That was a moment when it didn't, and maybe represents to me why this movie might not work for someone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So should we get into the way Way too too seriously seriously part of our show? I think I already got into some of the seriousliness that I wanted to talk about when I was talking a second ago about like the madness and anarchy of the city Mm -hmm. with this uh, optimistic and innocent core in it that is what allows him to survive through the chaos. Mm. I think that's a thing to take seriously in terms of the theme of the the movie. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that this movie does is really examines this, he decided. I mean, I keep coming back to it. Maybe it wasn't deliberate, but it seems so deliberate to me. I think this is a movie arises from an attempt to really take seriously this, he decided not to think badly of any animals. So we have the chimpanzees that are awful. Yeah. And the a pit, it's not actually a pit bull, but they label it a pit bull in the movie. Yeah, it's a bull terrier. It's a bull terrier. It's in the 90s, people didn't know what a pit bull was. I think so. Uh, that same bull terrier is in the Popeye movie, also called a pit bull. Really? Yeah. Weird. Anyway. Uh, the bull terrier, like, is this mad dog, aggressive, chases him down the streets. Like, so two different kinds of horrible animals. Mm-hmm. Hor- hor- but Babe won't think badly of any of them. Mm-hmm. And ends up redeeming all of them through his kind of naive spirit. I think that's the philosophical claim at the heart of the movie is that the the surrealness and the danger and the disorientation and the madness of the city of life of the, I mean, based on the end of the movie of the 20th century, because the narration at the end of the movie says like they went back to the farm a little left of the 20th century. So they, uh, 
the city is like them coming away from farm life into the modern world. And the modern world is surreal and incomprehensible and violent and selfish. And the babe's choice to be kind and optimistic and not think bad of people sees him safely through all of that and is transformative of everyone around him. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. He also possibly kills someone. (laughs) (laughs) When does he kill someone? Okay, so Mickey Rooney plays the clown. Right. Uncle Uncle Fugly. Is it Fugly? I feel like it was Fugly. I mean, we'll have to look it up, but I really felt like they were saying Uncle Fugly the whole time. And I'm like, really? Really? Maybe? I don't remember, but it could be. Um, Which, side note, this is... Not a movie for children? I don't know. It's very weird. He is in this clown show with the uncle and sets it on fire and the uncle has to go to the hospital. And then the woman, his niece, comes back and says, like, he was on his deathbed, blah, 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 and she's holding his hat. And it, like, it kind of implies that maybe he died in the hospital, which would be entirely Babe's fault. Okay. I'm going to... Accidentally Babe's fault, yeah. but still Babe's fault. I'm going to just uh, nitpick you on he kills someone, because someone accidentally dies because of him is not the same thing as he kills someone. Okay, fine. Involuntary manslaughter. Pig slaughter. <laughs> Wait, no. The pig doesn't get slaughtered. <laughs> Mike, it's one of two moments, possibly three, definitely two moments in the movie where Babe inadvertently causes massive physical harm to a person. Yeah, exactly. And the one is at the beginning of the movie. He, Farmer Hoggett is trying to fix the well and Babe accidentally falls in and in a like Rube Goldberg series of events, Farmer Hoggett gets his, like his hand broken and a concussion and his, you know. Yeah, he's horribly injured. He's horribly injured for the rest of the movie. He isn't even in the rest of the movie, but it's Mm -hmm. a catalyst for the movie. And then a very similar kind of one thing leads to another Bob Rube Goldberg thing is what leads to the clown being horribly injured. Mm -hmm. So what is that? Yeah, exactly. What does that mean? I don't know what it means, but it is definitely a motif in this movie that humans get injured and get, and the animals cause the chaos that injures the humans. And maybe... No, because Farmer Hoggett didn't mistreat. I was going to say maybe it was his comeuppance for mistreating those monkeys. And maybe he wasn't, he didn't seem very like a very good person. No, he didn't. The uncle. No. He seemed like a pretty horrible person. He did. Oh, he tried to capture Babe right when he first met him. Yeah, he succeeded in capturing yeah. Babe. And Babe is in his uh, performance. Because See? he's been kidnapped. It is so complicated. And one of the things this movie does is everything is so complicated. Because Uncle Fugly, it's Fugly? It is really Fugly. All right. Uncle Fugly doesn't seem like a great guy. He comes in, like, seems like drunk and... uh, He's covered in ice cream that looks like cocaine. (laughs) He's covered in ice cream that looks like cocaine. And he steals Babe. And Babe is in his circus performance, though he doesn't belong to him. And his monkey is wandering around the hotel stealing bags from people. And we have to, if we are going to kind of step back from the surrealism and use any realism at all, we have to make Uncle Fugly responsible for the crimes his monkeys commit, Mm -hmm. stealing luggage from people. But then he's a clown. Where is he a clown? In a children's hospital. 
Oh, is that a children's hospital? Yes. Oh, geez. So, like, that doesn't mean that necessarily that he's a good guy, no. particularly. But it's definitely a writing and directing choice of, like, he's performing. He could be performing anywhere. Yeah. But he's performing in a children's hospital. I think that is a detail that is there exactly to complicate our moral judgment of him as a guy. And the animals, like, he has them, he dresses them up, stupid. The chimpanzees are all dressed like humans, and I can't decide whether that is meant to be, like, Haha, isn't it funny? Monkeys in clothes! Or whether it's, like, Uncle Fugly is kind of abusing these animals by, get, like, gluing a wig on the female one's he- head, and, like, yeah. it's weird, surreal, bizarre. I can't t- decide quite what to make of it. But they're all very devoted to him. Mm-hmm. So, like, and we have enough from this movie to see that the animals in this movie are not blindly devoted to humans who treat them badly. The animals in both of these movies are devoted to humans who treat them well, and they have, like, that kind of agency. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we can use the fact that his primates, one orangutan, three champin- chimpanzees, and a monkey, and I said... Monkeys in clothes, referring to the chimpanzee colloquially as a joke I know very well and get, in fact, really upset by the difference between an ape and a monkey. But let's continue. His primates are all uh, devoted to and affectionate to him. I think we have grounds to take that as evidence of his character. Hmm. But the primates are all kind of evil. They're kind of awful, right? But, again, like, the way this movie complicates everyone morally as well as in all ways. Because they're introduced, they stole Babe's bag, then they steal Babe, they lie to him about him being, uh, about getting some kind of reward, they... They're presented like the mafia. Presented like the mafia, they lie to him about, they tell him, you know, in this here in the city everyone needs to look out for number one. They lie to him, put him in danger of the vicious dog so they can steal food. And then they kind of, they start to be working with him. And they start to, Mm -hmm. uh, they say thank you to him for under duress. But like, then they have the baby chimpanzees and they're, I mean, it's a choice of words to describe chimpanzees, but they're humanized in that way. Why do they have the two babies? Because the two babies are vulnerable and make them vulnerable and make them uh, seem protective of their babies. They're Mm -hmm. young instead of making them seem predatory and aggressive. And the whole movie centers around like surrounding them with love and support as they're having these babies. And that there's this shift that happens in how they're characterized. And I think that is the same kind of like who's good and who's bad and why? Well, people are really complicated. Yeah. And babe refuses to think badly of anyone, even when they've tricked him and lied to him. Like he's still treats them well. And that redeems them throughout the, in the movie. I mean, we don't see, unlike the, I'm going to just call him a pit bull because the movie does even though it's a bull terrier. Uh, unlike the pit bull, who is directly redeemed by Babe's kindness, the chimpanzees are kind of symbolically redeemed by Babe's kindness. Like, he doesn't do something specifically kind to them that they then feel in his debt for. But the movie transforms them, and the heart of the movie is Babe's naivety and good-heartedness. 
And so Babe's good-heartedness transforms them symbolically, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Moana. It and does. How if you know who you are and you act in f- good faith with people and recognize the goodness inside of them, they'll recognize the goodness inside of themselves. I mean, it's not infinitely more surreal and infinitely more, like, less uh, careful and profound in how it expresses that than Moana is. Yes. But the core of it, I think, is the same. Like, it's about being a rock in the middle of the chaos. Mm -hmm. And that's what Babe is in this movie. And he spreads this kind of solid kindness and calm and safety and stability throughout, like, to all the animals. Mm -hmm. That isn't his mission. No. That isn't what he's trying to do. But all the surreal, madcap, set-piece pratfalls really emphasize him as this uh, calm and solid center. Mm-hmm. Like there's something there's definitely profound something there. there. He's doing it in such a different register from mm-hmm. what we might expect, but it's doing it. You were going to say something. No, I was going to say that from the very start of this movie, you mentioned the, the city and how it's, is has landmarks from like cities all over the world. And I think that when you begin a movie like that, so I mean so close to the beginning of the movie like that and you show this city that's not real, that is so not real, you're setting the tone for the whole movie that like this is not real. This is none of this is really happening. Mm-hmm. None of this could possibly happen. Mm-hmm. So just check your assumptions at the door. Yep. And go with it. And go with, like, and laugh when it's hilarious and enjoy the ride. And I think for the most part, you just, like, kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. But you also, like you said, you have these, you do have this core character who is good and who is, who believes in in the goodness of others at all times. Mm -hmm. And that's what anchors it. And so, despite what I said at the very beginning, about not liking it because of characters, I think I think maybe talking through this is making me realize that you can enjoy the ride of this movie because of the character of Babe. Yeah, and see, and that's where I would have, and I'm going to say again what I said at the beginning, that's why, to me, I don't think it would work if it was just Pig in the City. Yeah. Because if we aren't bringing Babe's character into the movie, and you can call that a flaw of the movie if you want, and mm. maybe it is. Maybe it is. But... I, I agree that within the, from the opening curtain to the credits, I don't think Babe's character is established strongly enough to be that anchor. It acts as that, but I don't think we earn that. Yeah. But the first movie earns that. The first movie That's what the first that. movie is, yeah. is earning that solid central character that this movie then trades on uh, and it explores what happens when you take that solid central character and put him in a situation where everything is completely surreal and he has this stabilizing influence. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, like, you ha- it has to be Babe, <laughs> right? It has yeah. to be that character mm-hmm. from the first movie for that to work. Yeah. Okay, do you have anything else to say? I just, I don't know. Um, I should have maybe talked about this in another section. Mm-hmm. But did you notice the opera? There's a lot of opera in this movie. Well, the cats all sing opera together. The cats all sing opera. The house across the street that calls Animal Control, the, they're like, honey, you're going to miss the aria. 
Mm. The background music during the chase scene first... Did you notice how the music often doesn't really match the mood of what you're really seeing? Really not, yeah. And so much so that it must be deliberate. Mm-hmm. And so another element of the surreal, like, he doesn't have, like, scary chase music during the chase. He'll have, like, calm... Well, there's, like, a chase going on, or there's mm-hmm. pratfalls. And there often those are choruses or... Uh, instrumental sections from opera. Hmm. So the most memorable one is during the big chase scene when the pit bull is chasing Babe. The music is the anvil chorus from La Traviata, and they're playing on anvils. And then when he's drowning... The dog falls off the bridge and his leash stretches and he head dunks under the water. And I'm sitting there next to my kids being like, are they going to like show a dog drowning Mm -hmm. on my screen of this children's movie? This is part of what the surrealness of this movie does to me is I never had any idea what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, the one dog, like the wheelchair dog gets killed, like... It felt like got killed by a car and then fought, and then comes back to life. And you're like, okay, good, because I really thought that dog was dead. <laughs> but one of the things maybe that is behind the surrealness is you don't get as emotionally invested in a movie when you see the beats coming. Mm-hmm. And this actually hits all the beats of the animals are all safe and it ends happily ever after. But I don't feel like that's guaranteed. No, definitely not. I feel like they could have just drowned a dog in front of me. Yeah. But anyway, so while he's drowning, the music playing is the humming chorus from Madame Butterfly, which is the, like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just yeah, hummed. I just, I just hummed. Uh, so right next to each other, we have the anvil chorus and the humming chorus, two, like, very iconic choruses mm-hmm. from two different operas. And, like, I don't know exactly what to make of that, but there's a lot of... I remember in the first Babe, basically all the score was, if I had words, to put it made instrumentally. This movie has a lot of music, and it's a lot of, like, recognizable opera things. Hmm. What's up with that? I do not know. I do not know. That maybe doesn't belong in the too seriously, because I don't even have an interpretive No, I mean, like, guess. you just take a bit to talk about some of the weird things about this movie, and that's one of them. Yeah. There's like a few just like weird moments. Like they're escaping by running across a pipe and it shows this wide shot of the street with the animals in the distance crossing the street. And in the foreground is this like woman in a beautiful wedding dress running away. And you're like, what does that have to do with anything? It has nothing to do with the movie at all. This woman, woman has nothing to do with it. It's just another layer of... This is not real. This is check your assumptions at the door. This is a weird, unreliable, bizarre world. Mm. Or when the moment we talked about, the moment when they're all swinging from the ceiling, there's this big tower of glasses that gets set up. Yeah, it never gets broken. It never gets knocked over. But they also, he also doesn't like show it as the punchline of a gag. Hey, look, it's here. Like mm-hmm. the it's set up and you expect that... If it was Home Alone, mm-hmm. you would have set that thing up and someone would have run into it and it would have been crashing glasses. If it was every other movie. 
there's this big setup and there's all these pratfalls all around and this big setup of a pile of wine glasses survives all the pratfalls mm-hmm. and, and nothing comes of it. Nothing comes of it. And like, it's again, just, you do not know what's going to happen in my movie. How dare you assume you know what's going to happen in exactly, my movie. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. And I've seen before, like, I, I've seen before the joke is the inversion of it, where someone would be like, whoa, it sure is good that those glasses didn't get knocked down. Like, that would mm-hmm. be a joke also. Yeah. But he doesn't do that either. No, he doesn't draw attention to it. He just, le- like, he draws attention to it, and then it doesn't get knocked over, and then we get distracted by balloons falling. Where did those balloons fall from? They were in nets on the ceiling. Okay. Yeah. But, like... We get distracted by something else happens, and then we get distracted by something else happens, and it's like a dog chasing its tail in this movie about a bunch of dogs and other animals, and like, let's list a few other surreal moments. Are there any other that you want to draw attention to? The Dot Ferdinand can't fly properly for some reason. I'm not really sure. So he rides in a pelican's beak. He's just lazy. He's just lazy. Yeah. Okay. But he also, like, his flying, like, in terms of the puppetry or whatever of it, is very flappy for a duck. It's very flappy, and it really draws attention to his puppetness. And Mm -hmm. it's especially because he does it in the midst of a flock of pelicans who are flying naturally as birds. So it's like, hey, in case you thought that we didn't know how to make birds that fly like (laughs) birds, here's a bunch of birds flying like birds, and now notice how... Ferdinand is not flying like a bird flies. Mm, yeah. That's a weirdness. That's a yeah. surreal moment for yeah. sure. The orangutan throughout. Mm-hmm. I just like one of the elements of the surreal in general in film is drawing attention to something as if it's significant when it's not significant. Right. And we keep getting like the orangutan making these like shifty eyes. Like, yeah. Like the shifty-eyed dog in the episode of The Simpsons. How do you know he's the villain? He's making shifty eyes. But the orangutan never does anything villainous. No, no. Or really anything good. He basically never does anything. You feel like he's maybe not going to catch the baby. When the baby orangutan falls from the ceiling. Baby chimp. Baby chimp falls from the ceiling. You feel like maybe the orangutan isn't going to catch it. But of course he does. And then it's all happy. And that's a moment when he has said, like, You drooling imbeciles. This is an omnivorous mammal of the order Inglata, an inconsequential species with no other purpose than to be eaten by humans. This lowly, handless, deeply unattractive mud lover is a pig. And the pig says, Hey, catch the baby. And then he does. And mm. they say, Thank you. And he says, Thank the pig. So that's what that is. But. It's so underplayed. Like, all that is very underplayed. But very overplayed is, like, this orangutan looking shifty. Mm Mm-hmm. That's surreal. That's weird. Yeah. Very weird how much attention we get to the orangutan is watching. The orangutan is making shifty eyes. (laughs) Yeah. The orangutan is like, I want him to talk like Christopher Walken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Like... And then the orangutan goes to the farm and is friends with the farmer's wife. Because she was wearing uh, Uncle Fugly's clothes and he has, this is not text, but I think he has decided that she is like a reincarnation of the spirit of Uncle Fugly. Oh, really? Because when she sees him, 
no, when he sees her dressed in the clothes, he says to one of the chimps, like, it's himself. Really? And the chimp says, no, it's not. And, like, maybe he has poor eyesight and thinks it really is Uncle Fugly. But then when the end, when he, like, has all this affection for the farmer's wife, I think it's that he's, like, decided that she is either in a supernatural way or just in a symbolic way. She is a rein, uh, a, the new version of himself. She's the new himself. She's the new Uncle Fugly. She yeah. encapsulates what Uncle Fugly used to be for him in some kind of mystical or symbolic way. That is a radical interpretation of the text, but I love it. <laughs> this is where, like, look, maybe we should watch this movie immediately again. I know. I kind of feel like maybe we should, <laughs> except I don't want to at all. I was going to say something. Like, when, when it first started and I was making mental notes about the way too seriousliness of it, I was going to be like, oh, it's interesting and good. They, like... Uh, the farmer's wife was sidelined in the first movie, and now they sideline the farmer and make her be the main. But then, like, not really. She is sidelined again, as all the humans are. Yeah. So that didn't develop in the way I wanted it to. But she is more of a main character. Like it is more her story than it is emotionally her story. Yeah. And the hotel keeper is also yeah. a woman and the mm-hmm. two of them like connect in and a pair up and ride their weird bouncy bike thing. Yeah. <laughs> the city. And she's the hotel owner is very tall and thin and the Esme Esme is not that short but is stout and they yep. just visually are a surreal pair because they're both kind of uh caricature characters shapes. and and the like the landlady woman has like triangle hair and Esme is like very like squat and curly hair and like they are very And then they put her distinct. in a clown pants that yeah. are twice as big to really emphasize that she's a ball yeah. and the caretaker is a stick yeah. and the two of them like stand next to each other. Mm-hmm. And there's a this vi- visual effect of the two of them together. Yeah. So I think we've said quite a lot here. Yeah, so you were you wanted to and I kept going. No, it's fine. <laughs> Bullheadedly kept talking. <laughs> Do you have to try again to say Is it good? Is it seriously good? Is it good? I I went out of it being really bewildered, but I'm now, after talking about it for 45 minutes, (laughs) I've gone from being like, I think maybe it's good, to being like, it's really good. Yeah, it's it's good. I need to watch it 12 more times. (laughs) It's good. And seriously good? Yeah. It is seriously good. I don't think there's a lot, like, there's just a lot to chew on with it. And I think that makes it seriously good. We didn't really say most of the animals are male. Basically, all the animals are male. That's true. The one female animal is a female chimp who's pregnant and it's bizarre. Yeah, that's true. So that's something to cast our eyes at in terms of the seriously. Yeah. We'll we'll zip past it right now after in the inappropriate spot. Be like... I think you're right, though. The So much there is to chew on. So much there is to <laughs> chew on. That, that sentence was surreal, Paul. <laughs> the fact that there's so much philosophically and thematically to mull over just means it can't... It, it's seriously good because it's too complex yeah. morally and philosophically to not be good. So, if you want to talk to us about this movie and, like... Please tell us if this is your favorite movie or if you like want to chat about Babe Pig in the City, please do. 
you can talk to us on Twitter at WTScast. You can contact us on Facebook or on uh, Reddit. Those links are all in our show notes. You can email us way too seriously cast at gmail.com. And if you really like us and want to kick us a surreal amount of money, <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Have a surreal day. <laughs> I just have no idea how to tie into this movie in the end because nothing in this movie makes any sense no and neither sense. does this ending. No sense whatsoever. Uh-huh.